0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this
2: is Road Signs. Here is your host, Seth Clevenger.
1: Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. In this episode, we're going to explore how third-party logistics providers are helping their shipper customers navigate the supply chain disruptions that continue to hinder the flow of goods in the U.S. and around the world. As we've all seen and heard, shippers, manufacturers, and retailers today are facing product and component shortages as well as labor shortages amid the economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. On top of that, the logistics industry is becoming more complex than ever as demand increases for e-commerce fulfillment and reverse logistics services. So how are 3PLs adapting to this increasingly challenging environment? To help us answer that question, we're going to bring in two industry experts. Later in the program, we'll hear from Kathy Robertson, Research Manager at the Reverse Logistics Association. But first, we're excited to welcome Neil Shelton, Chief Strategy Officer at GXO, one of the world's largest contract logistics providers. Thanks for joining us, Neil.
2: Thanks so much indeed for the opportunity. Uh, We're very excited to be on your show. Uh, It's a great privilege. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, Neil. And as we all know, global supply chain disruptions and congestion at major ports have really slowed down the flow of goods across the world. Uh, so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your vantage point at GXO. You know, What are the top supply chain challenges you've seen over the past half year or so? And how are you helping your shipper customers uh, really navigate all these challenges we're seeing in the market today?
2: Uh, well, look, thanks, Seth. I mean, in essence, what supply chains have really meant is that stock or inventory, it's arriving less predictably at warehouse doors, uh, Customers have reacted by ordering earlier than is typically the case, and also by seeking to speed their products into the hands of their end consumers as fast as possible. This has meant a much greater focus on e-commerce or direct-to-consumer, if you like, which arguably showed in good data from that channel globally in the fourth quarter against some pretty tough comps. If you're looking at GXO specifically, Seth, uh, about half our revenues come through from e-commerce, from Omino Channel consumer technologies and we are standing up solutions for global blue chip brands that are really seeking to push harder and grow faster in that direct to consumer environment Uh, as you can imagine uh, e-commerce is complicated we had a number of solutions that through the thanksgiving weekend processed well over half a million outbound e-commerce packages per day now depending on the customer that can be millions of products needing to arrive at a packing station to meet ever-shortening delivery cut-off times. And what GXO is doing in this very uncertain environment is delivering a lot of what the best of the supply chain can't, predictability and resilience.
1: Yeah, predictability. I mean, it's, it's so uh, uncertain, uh, the environment that you know, shippers and uh, you know, even 3PLs and carriers are, are dealing with these days. So uh, you know, the more uh, business intelligence, the more data you have at your fingertips, the, the better equipped we all are to uh, to manage these uh, really uh, uh, challenging times. And of course, when we look at the the market as a whole, uh, several factors have contributed to these uh, recent supply chain disruptions we're talking about. You know, one of the factors we hear a lot about are labor shortages um, in, in trucking and really across the uh, you know, manufacturing and uh, logistics worlds. Um, and a lot of this, of course, is is driven by all the disruption from, you know, the new coronavirus variants, uh, adding more uh, uncertainty to the, to the system. Uh, but are you starting to see any signs that maybe these disruptions are starting to ease a little bit? And what's your best projection for when supply chains might return to at least a semblance of normalcy?
2: Yeah, I mean, Seth, it, it does feel like we've passed the Nadir in terms of supply chain challenges. We're not seeing... Any dramatic deterioration on the ground of late. And in terms of the recovery, it, it appears that we're looking at a, at a gradual recovery. It may not fully unwind until 2023, but we are seeing fantastic demand, both from existing and indeed new customers, Seth, to help them solve for this current series of problems that are being faced. I mean, almost every company that has a physical product has mentioned supply chain challenges of late on their conference call. And as GXO is the most technologically advanced third-party logistics provider. We can provide and we can prove the very significant benefits that are technology-driven solutions. And we can demonstrate with hundreds of real-life case studies of just how significant improvement we can deliver. And those benefits and improvements, I don't think they're necessarily fully understood. I mean, I think the markets and people are grasping, yes, we can drive... Real efficiency savings. Yes, our technology can supercharge a customer's growth. But if you look at the impact of of GXO on a wider basis, we can drive much bigger benefits. And there was a trading update uh, very recently, Seth, from one of our our customers, and they highlighted that if you look over the past two years, that the proportion of full-price sales has risen by nearly 50%, and they've dropped the proportion of end of season discounted sales by 25%. So that amounts to many hundreds, if not thousands of basis points of of gross margin benefit for the customer, which has accrued since we've deployed our technologies uh, to their warehouse. And there are many other examples we could give you highlighting the benefits we can deliver to customers. And that's why we're seeing a phenomenal growth opportunity globally, both from existing customers uh, and also from new customers. We're, we're delivering a real competitive advantage now in terms of those warehouse solutions in this environment that you highlighted mm. that remains uncertain for, for, for many warehouse operators.
1: Yeah, I'd like to go a little bit deeper, actually, into uh, the technology and automation that uh, GXO has been rolling out uh, at its uh, warehouses. And, uh, of course, this has been a, a long-term investment uh, at GXO, and, of course, at you know XPO prior to the the spinoff uh, last year. Uh, some of those some examples of this technology are uh, cobots that uh, help warehouse workers do their jobs more efficiently. Uh, there's uh, that, that's just one example, but I'd like to hear from you. You know, could you just just tell us a little bit more about how you're applying automation, you know, and robotics in your warehouses today, and how do you see that expanding in the
2: future? I mean, Seth, the use of technology, the use of automation. Uh, across warehouse solutions will only grow. And if you look across the industry, we've said that we believe only 5% of warehouse solutions are currently automated. GXO is six times that number, 30% automated. And given our recent wins and the fact that 50% of our sales pipeline is in the e-commerce, you should expect that proportion of automation and technologically driven solutions to rise. You can't do e-commerce without an awful lot of automation. Now, robots and and, and cobots you mentioned, Seth, they they really help to drive efficiency. They create improved, they create safer workplaces, and they deliver a much greater predictability and indeed precision to our warehouse solutions. Um, Will the use of robotics and automation expand? Uh, Absolutely, inevitably. We're in an firstly, we're in an environment where companies have been trying to run in-house warehouse solutions their ability to secure labor and the lower predictability of the cost of that labor has now tilted firmly in favor of more automation more technology which can drive a strategic benefit from from warehousing potential customers typically focus on their product they focus on the marketing of their product and that's what they excel at. They don't excel at what are the best warehouse technologies to knit together using software, how to marry that with labor to drive an outstanding solution. That's what GXO does. That's where GXO provides world-class solutions. The other thing to think about, Seth, is that, I mean, warehouse automation is undeniably seeing a j-curve. We have more technologies and more application of technologies available to us today than we might have even dreamed even only 12 months ago. So let's take your example of cobots. Cobots can drive very significant efficiency benefits, very significant volume growth. And we typically use them in a lot of e-commerce solutions. We now have access and have helped to develop with a a, a hardware company, what you would call Mm -hmm. super-sized cobots. We're deploying them in new verticals. We're helping to deliver structural benefits to those solutions, such as in the food and beverage sector. And this is, this is really helping to unlock a very exciting new growth opportunity for GXO above and beyond our heartland strength of e-commerce and consumer-focused verticals.
1: Yeah, it will certainly be fascinating to watch this develop uh, in the years ahead. I, I suspect that we're, you know, even today still kind of in the, in the early phases of, of adoption of some of these advanced technologies uh, in the warehouse environment and it'll be interesting to watch in the years ahead. Uh, but before we go any further, uh, I did want to circle back to uh, the, you know, just the, the status and, uh, you, know, the, you know, the latest update on GXO since his spinoff from XPO Logistics, and that was back in August of 2021. Uh, so could you just give us a, you know, a, an update on how
2: GXO is moving
1: forward as a standalone company over these past several months?
2: I mean, I think if you look at the results we we posted for the third quarter, they highlighted that GXO is is moving forward really nicely uh, as a new, as you say, standalone company. We we put up 25 percent year over year revenue growth. We raised our guidance for 2021. We also exited that quarter. It was our first ever quarter with a record sales pipeline, which stood at 2.3 billion dollars. I mean, as a as a standalone business, Seth, we've got a great opportunity to highlight the long duration of growth ahead of ourselves. It's driven by e-commerce, it's driven by increasing amounts of technological deployment, and it's also helping to speed up what we see as a a massive outsourcing opportunity for GXO. About 30% of the $430 billion total addressable market we've highlighted is outsourced today. Uh, And we're super excited, looking forward. I mean, there really is nothing like GXO out there, and as a standalone company, We'll be flagging the massive growth opportunities ahead just by simply solving our customers' problems, which you highlighted earlier in terms of the supply chain.
1: From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a Transport Topic special report. We're turning our attention to another big issue, electrification, and the key factors that will drive this industry trend. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis, and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. Transport Topics invites you to learn more about our special reports. To reserve your copy of the latest special report, visit ttn.ws forward slash electrification. I did want to circle back a bit more to our conversation about e-commerce. You know, of course, this is a a very large portion of GXO's business, Uh, but I I think that really this whole segment of of logistics has uh, accelerated in in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Of course, so many people were um, ordering products um, from the comfort of their own homes. Uh, You know, in, in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, going out to brick and mortar stores less than they would have in the past. Of course, now uh, we're seeing people more and more go back to uh, stores that they or in restaurants and restaurants and starting to get back to life as it was before to some extent. Uh, but you know, from your vantage point, just how much has e-commerce fulfillment evolved in light of the pandemic and all these changes in our society over these past couple of years?
2: It evolved notably, Seth. I mean, if you look at the the shift to the e-commerce channel, it was incredibly notable through the pandemic. And there's no sign of that consumer behavior reversing. In fact, quite the opposite at the moment. Uh, The consumer, as a result of the pandemic, they now expect best-in-class e-commerce service, which is typically same day or next day delivery, and always getting exactly what they ordered in perfect condition. Um, e-commerce typically requires many multiples of work per product versus retail within the warehouse where much of retail activity was actually done in store. Now, our customers are, are embracing the e-commerce channel and they're planning for their best in class consumer experience to be a competitive advantage looking forward. I mean, I, I was at the site last week, Seth. Um, we opened an e-commerce solution, very well known global consumer brand. That site has driven a 45% improvement in that brand's net promoter score. So for any brand, that is an enormous benefit. So our solutions not only driving great efficiencies, but they're also enhancing the consumer experience. And, and that is, Really important for our customers.
1: Yeah, and along with the growth of e-commerce is also growth in the need for reverse logistics, and you know, especially now that we're you know well into the you know the post-holiday period when there's typically a surge in product returns. You know, I'm wondering, you know, how GXO is managing that increase in demand for reverse logistics as as more and more product uh, is also is ultimately sent back, uh,
2: you know, in, in a product return or exchange yeah i mean without question seth there's been a lot of data points highlighting a pickup in returns activity partly because of a high level of e-commerce activity but also consumer spend on products with a higher propensity to be returned you're not wearing sweatpants people are wearing suits again uh, and that's the fitting service they're required has to be to to be perfect A, a great returns or reverse logistics service is it brings real advantages to our customers as you can imagine We are aiming to deploy more and more technologies to help bring down the cost of returns, to speed up the process and to to drive value for customers. Uh, We're using machine learning, coupled with new vision technologies and, and are developing new solutions that really can help to not only drive down the cost of returns, drive better margins for our customers, but importantly, divert product away from landfill. The industry as a whole, as you look at third-party logistics, it's about 30% outsourced. Returns and reverse logistics activity is about half that level outsourced. It's, it's a massive growth opportunity for GXO. And because of the value that we deliver to our customers, we generate higher margins. And you know, I, I did want to briefly touch on uh, yet another
1: trend that we're seeing uh, in the transportation and, and logistics industry. And, and that's the push for greater environmental sustainability some shippers with uh, corporate sustainability goals are now interested in things like alternative fuels uh, as well as other ways to reduce emissions and of course that trend also extends to warehousing as well through recycling and uh, more efficient product packaging for example so at GXO uh, to what extent are you encountering uh, demand from your customer base for more uh, sustainability and related requests
2: we've seen lots of uh... Uh, requests uh, from our customers set sustainability is is really important to our customers it's really important to our teammates uh, and it's really important to us uh, as a business we want to do great business in the right way Um, recently it was absolutely fantastic to have MSCI recognize our doing great business in the right way with their recent AA ESG rating uh, which apparently placed GXO as the highest ranked larger company in the transportation and logistics segment globally. So we're very, very proud of that. So at heart, our, our solutions, they drive improved efficiency. And going back to the example of one of our e-commerce companies and customers typically having less stock to clear at end of season, this helps to significantly improve their carbon footprint. Typically, 60 to 80% of the carbon footprint for any product is in manufacture and shipping to destination markets. If we reduce excess inventory, we're driving real environmental benefits. The same is true for our worst world-class reverse logistics operations. We undertake work to get return products into the hands of another consumer as fast as possible, rather than a product manufactured and shipped halfway around the world. Um, as I'm sure you know, we're incredibly fortunate at GXO to work with some of the world's most recognizable brands. And we work with them on our long-term contracted basis. We have to be a partner to these customers to help their ESG journey. So it's really important across many different parts uh, of uh, GXO to continue to help to improve the environment. It it delivers benefits to us and it really helps to differentiate us versus the competition as well.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that guidance. And um, before I let you go, Neil, I'd like to you know, end with a question that's very much looking forward. Um, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how supply chains might change in the future. You know, especially in light of all the disruptions we've seen over the past couple of years, and the technologies that we're seeing adopted uh, in our industry. Uh, just comprehensively, overall, you know, how can we make supply chains more efficient and more resilient moving forward than what we've seen in the past? It's a it's a fantastic question,
2: Seth. So, I mean, ultimately, uh, customers are looking for three things in their supply chain. They're looking for transparency or visibility of what's going on. They're looking for accuracy and they want to optimize for cost, for working capital and and margins. Um, Without question, Steph, the use of more technology will help to deliver what customers want over time. Um, You mentioned the word resilient. I mean, there is a clear benefit to a solution where automation is deployed. It becomes much more predictable. Customers want to accurately know where their product and their inventory is within that overall supply chain, including within the warehouse and how they can think about optimizing the process to get the most benefit in terms of service levels and cost optimization. Um, So what we should think about is technologies that can help to connect different elements of the supply chain, like freight transportation, Warehouse management at an individual or a network level, that, that's going to be a much bigger focus going forward. Um, there's going to be many opportunities at, if you like, exploring digital interoperability to, as you highlighted earlier, to better manage data flows and integration. That feels like it's going to help to relieve some of the pressures and issues that the supply chains have recently faced. Currently, There's a myriad of standards and a lack of seamlessness, which has helped to add to some of those supply chain inefficiencies. So when we look at it from a GXO perspective, we've got an amazing number of opportunities to help our customers fix many of the issues that have been quite widely discussed in the media of late, using software, using automation, having a much more predictable solution. So uh, we hope to have a very, very exciting uh, story uh, going forward uh, which as you highlighted Seth uh, has only just recently started.
1: Yeah we'll certainly be watching closely at Transport Topics. There's a lot of opportunity to to do things better and more efficiently uh, moving forward uh, you know as a, as an industry and you know this has been a really good conversation Neil and and uh, I appreciate all your insights but I think we've reached a good stopping point so let's leave it there. Uh, Thanks again for joining the podcast and
2: and sharing a bit of your time. Seth, thank you very much indeed for the uh, opportunity, and I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, meeting you.
1: In times like these, it's crucial to stay informed. Transport Topics is offering all the information you need to make business decisions in these unprecedented times and in the wake of the many event cancellations and group gatherings,
2: TT ensures a virtual way to consume business content and conversation. To join the conversation and stay ahead of the news, follow Transport Topics on all social outlets or by visiting ttn.ws
1: forward stay informed. Next on Road Signs, we're very pleased to welcome Kathy Robertson, Research Manager at the Reverse Logistics Association. Thanks for joining us, Kathy.
3: Hi, Seth. How you doing?
1: Doing great. And it's uh, great to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us.
3: Oh, thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here.
1: I'd like to, to start a conversation by discussing all the growth we've seen in the e commerce space. And of course, that's nothing new. You know, e commerce has been growing for many years now. But the coronavirus pandemic has really further accelerated that trend. And generally speaking, more e-commerce means more product returns. So let's just start right there. Just how much has, has reverse logistics grown in recent years, uh, and especially during the pandemic with all the growth and, and all the uh, focus on e-commerce?
3: Uh, you're right, Seth. I think the, um, the COVID pandemic, it just kick-started uh, something that was already growing, e-commerce. And along with the growth of e-commerce came the growth of returns. But the returns aspect came a little later in in the pandemic because, um, as you know, the stores were closed. Uh, A lot of the carriers, you know, our friends at FedEx, UPS, the post office, were struggling enough to make deliveries to our homes, Uh, you know, all those... all those uh, rolls of toilet paper in the beginning (laughs) and so as a consequence the returns a lot of the consumers held on to the returns until later in the year or later when the stores started reopening and um and that's when you started seeing a flood of returns coming in uh usually done by you know curbside pickup or or what have you because you know, in 2020, so many of us were really hesitant to step foot in a store because of the whole, you know, the, uh, the virus and such. But yeah, on average, e-commerce returns will average roughly about 30% of purchases. And it's hard to get an exact number. That 30% has been floated around for years and years, even before the pandemic. But if you think about the growth, if you add that 30% to the growth of e-commerce, that's a massive number. It really is. So right before our chat, I kind of looked up some numbers from the National Retail Federation. They do a nice job gathering up all kinds of statistics when it comes to retail. And in 2020, they estimate that the online returns more than doubled from 2019. And Online returns themselves are a major driver of the overall growth of returns, which I thought was interesting. And that's really, you know, looking back, it's like, well, duh, you know, because more and more of us are ordering online. Um, they estimate about $428 billion worth of return, uh, items were returned in 2020. Now the 2021 numbers won't be coming out, um, Let's say they'll be coming out within the next couple of weeks. I believe it's, it's just a massive number and it's, and it just keeps growing. The more we buy online, the more we're going to return.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of complexity there. And uh, looking at the, you know, the calendar now we're, we're in that post-holiday period. And you know, kind of just went through that uh, post-holiday period. <laughs> and of course yeah. there's typically a surge in product returns, right? You know, people you know, return the gifts they don't like, or, you know, exchange a new sweater that doesn't fit. Uh, but you know, how is this post-holiday period compared with previous years uh, based on what you've seen so far? What's your takeaway this year?
3: Well, I, I, I agree with what UPS came out with during the holiday season. UPS estimated that there was going to be, that they were going to handle about 60 million return packages between um, November 14th through January 22nd. And that's actually a, a, a record. Uh, it's 10% higher than the previous holiday season and just you know talking with with uh, folks um, retailers customers and so on I really believe it had to have been a record I don't I personally don't have exact numbers here but the um, number of delays and delivery in early in early January well even up until now um, kind of speaks to, how busy the FedExes, the UPSes, and the post office has been. Um, and I'm attributing a lot of that to the returns themselves. Now, in their press release, UPS noted um, that Optoro, Optoro is, a, um, is a reverse logistics provider. They've been around for about 10 years, and they're very tech heavy. They did a study, and they found out that before the pandemic hit, most consumers prefer to return items in store, uh, versus by way of a shipper, a carrier. Uh, by October of this year, however, it had flipped, and they—it was like sixty percent of uh, consumers prefer to have a carrier pick up their items and ship them versus having to go into into the stores. So that's that's quite telling.
1: Yeah, and we'll see if that uh, lasts as we you know continue to. Uh, move toward hopefully some some light at the end end of the tunnel with the pandemic, but uh, perhaps that'll be a a permanent change and and time will tell. You know, I
3: I honestly think
1: it will stick,
3: to be honest with you, because I think so many of us are working from home these days. And even when folks have to go back into an office, it's still, I think it's many, for many of us, it's going to be a hybrid, you know, where we work two or three days at home, have, maybe show up at the office once or twice a week and the convenience of a UPS or a FedEx or a post office coming by to pick up my item for a return. It's is convenient.
1: Sure. And, you know, on, on top of all the, you know, growth and uh, e-commerce, all the, you know, additional products being returned and, and the growth of reverse logistics, you know, we've had, uh, all these, uh, Disruptions in the global supply chain and, and congestion at major ports, on top of all that, you know, it's really been just uh, slowing down the the flow of goods and and we're all feeling that in different ways. You know, I you know I actually just ordered a, a new sofa uh, myself, and it's going to take eight to twelve weeks for delivery, uh, for example, and that's you know pretty much across the board. Every store I, I talked to was uh, about the same lead time, you know, for a piece of furniture. Um, but you know, how are these? types of supply chain challenges playing out in the reverse logistics space you know is this going to make it harder and is it making it harder for retailers and manufacturers to to manage product returns as well
3: well first of all i feel your pain with the furniture <laughs> because I, I also had a similar situation and okay just a real quick story here just during the holiday season I walked into a, a furniture store just just to look first thing out of the salesperson's mouth was we have inventory and in stock. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so guess what? I walked out of the store buying a chair as a result of uh, the fact that they had inventory in stock. So, but I just thought that was really, um, it, it was funny in a lot of ways because earlier in the year when I went into the same store, it was like, they were all like, yeah, we don't have anything.
1: <laughs> Yeah, now there's a big selling point now just just having the product on hand to sell. Yes. You.
3: yes, but not you're right. you're right though about the whole supply chain. The supply chain is bogged down. It's been bogged down for quite a while. You know We've all read about you know over a hundred ships waiting just to get into the port of LA or Long Beach. and all of that has a trickle down effect. So, if it's going to be delayed at the port, nine times out of ten, it's going to be delayed getting picked up by a truck, truck driver, going to a warehouse, going to a store, all the way down to the last mile. Same thing is we as the consumer decide we don't like the item, you know, maybe because it's delayed and we no longer want it, returning it is also painful because once again, there's transportation involved. Uh, delays in pickup, delays in delivery, and also the need for workers. That's been a very hot topic over the past few months is that we have a shortage of workers in the supply chain, you know, working at the port, driving a truck, warehouse worker stored, so on. And it's at that warehouse that it's really painful. And for the items being returned, back to a warehouse, not having enough workers to do the inspection of the returned items, um, the ability to unpack those boxes, to sort them and so on, that's a cost in time. And it was interesting because we did, we at the Reverse Logistics Association conducted a survey back in the fall, the November time period, and some of the results that came back did indicate there are problems in the supply chain, such as, you know, just the cost of returns had increased because of the increasing cost in transportation, the increase in cost for labor, and also warehousing. Warehousing spaces is such high demand, there's there's not enough of it. So the cost of that has also gone up. And then also on the flip side, which I thought was interesting, uh, there was a comment that was made um, because of the bog downs and the delays, you know, in the supply chain, their expectations for the holiday season, uh, this particular survey responded, uh, said, we're not going to, we're not too concerned about an increase in returns just because we're not getting the items in time. You know, there won't be anything to return. So, <laughs> um, which I thought was interesting. In fact, out of um, the total number surveyed, that was about 32% basically said that, um, made that type of a comment saying that, you know, because of the inventory issues, you know, they weren't overly concerned about the number of returns. Yes,
1: certainly an interesting time where... We're living through right now, and when you when you look to uh, some of the solutions or potential solutions, uh, you know, you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, or gave an example, but uh, you know, some companies, of course, retailers or logistics providers have been turning to technology and artificial intelligence, for example, to to help make reverse logistics more efficient. You know, either by streamlining the returns process, or you know, in some cases, even by preventing the need for returns in the first place. You know, for example, if you're Showing the the consumer what they're ordering online, you know, and and it just so happens they're ordering something in a different size than they would usually order based on uh, past purchases. Uh, That's flagged and, you know, maybe you catch a a problem, uh, a mistaken order before it happens. Mm -hmm. But just uh, how much potential do you see for further technology adoption and just the advance of technology in general? Uh, to improve uh, the returns process and, and improve the efficiency of reverse logistics.
3: Well, well, you're absolutely right. It really starts with you, you really want to prevent them from even happening. And that starts with the website. And you're right. Um, making sure your sizing charts are as accurate as possible. Uh, also, the colors, you know, are pretty much on par Uh, I mean, this has happened to me in the past. I've ordered something in a certain shade of green, I believe, or maybe red. And it came in and it was not the same. It didn't look the same. So, you know, using technology for things like that, virtual dressing room, that's all really, you know, there to help keep returns from happening. But, um, But besides that, the technology... Once the item is in the process of being returned, uh, technology, like you said, used to streamline those processes. That's really, a lot of that is needed, uh, to make it flow in a more efficient, more cost-effective way. Then once it gets to a warehouse, you know, that whole disposition of trying to figure out what the heck to do with this particular item. A lot of that, you know, the processes behind that can be automated, um, I believe to a certain extent, I think you're going to always need people to eyeball things and such as that. But using things like artificial intelligence, that data uh-huh. and all of this, I think is very important because you can pick up on trends you know, that you may not be able to pick up otherwise. It's like, why are all these red sweaters being returned in this certain area? Or, you know, why is this laptop keep being returned? Things such as that. You can use that data for various things. You may need to go back to that. Maybe it was a supplier issue. And you can go back to that supplier with this, like, we've had a 100 returns on this red sweater, you know, so let's fix it. And things such as that. And I think technology is going to be playing a bigger and bigger role in, um, in not only reverse logistics, you know, returns, but, I mean, supply chain as a whole. And it's all going to be connected. That's the thing. Uh, reverse logistics has always been treated as that redheaded stepchild of the supply chain. You know, let's just sweep it under the table, you know, and forget about it. Well, no, it is part of the the supply chain, and people need to pay attention to it. And I think you're going to see that even more this year, because I laugh and say this is the year for reverse logistics. Um, So many retailers in particular have been focused on implementing these omni-channel strategies that include all this technology they've been doing that over the past year really ramping that up that forward part of the supply chain and now they're like well we really need to start looking at the cost you know our supply chain cost transportation cost you know and and such as that returns is a beautiful place to look at to identify um, areas to reduce those costs. So, uh, but yeah, the answer. And see, I'm straying here. Uh, yeah, technology is very, very important to that reverse logistics aspect, but also is re- important to be able to connect it to the rest of the supply chain. Yeah,
1: and I, I want to pick up on you know one of your your comments about you know controlling costs and. You know, I ask that because generally speaking, uh, retailers usually have pretty lenient policies for, for product returns. You know, j- just in, in general, it seems that they'd rather absorb the cost of a return rather than annoy or anger a customer <laughs> who uh, might be denied, a uh, you know, a, an opportunity to return it at, you know, little to no cost. Uh, but how much are those policies increasing these companies' logistics costs? And are we going to reach a point, do you think, where retailers in particular might start to rethink those policies and maybe make it a little bit harder to, to return products.
3: Well, you're right. There are some very liberal, um, uh, return policies out there, you know, let you return an item anytime, you know, uh, who has a LL Bean was all has always been known for their return policy. You know, you can buy a pair of shoes from them and they wear out after 10 years. Well, Still return them. I don't know if they've changed that policy or not, but you know, it creates customer loyalty. Yeah. And, um, and see, I picked up on, you know, I've always, you know, thought of LL Bean in, in that example, going, wow, I'm going to keep shopping with them because of that. But yeah, you're right. It does hurt them um, in the long run. And it's all in this highly competitive retail, in, you know, field. Um, just trying to keep customers from straying because we, we have so many options out there. You know, you get mad at one retailer. If you can't find something from one retailer, well, you can just let your fingers do the typing and find another retailer very easily. Uh, it's the same with free delivery. And I put free in quotation marks. I love free delivery, and if you know, if I can't get free delivery, I don't go shopping in that at that website or that store or what have you. So it's almost a similar situation. It's just one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. You got to keep that retailer, but it's coming to the point where retailers are going to have to rethink their policies, um, including that free delivery, by the way, <laughs> yeah,
0: no. No because it
3: is costly. It really is costly, and you know you have some retailers offering restocking fees. Okay, well, personally, I see a restocking fee, I see red. Um, I just
1: <laughs> right, I,
3: I, you know, as a consumer, uh, but they're doing that because there is a cost associated with that, and um, it's all about understanding what your costs are, your reverse logistics costs are, because they can be found in across the entire company and you've got to get a handle on on those costs and um design and and i really think you can design a customer friendly returns policy without breaking the bank
1: yeah certainly a, a tough balance uh for for retailers out there and yeah, I wanted to to touch on another trend that we're watching, and and that's this uh, move toward greater uh, environmental sustainability in mm-hmm. uh, transportation and logistics. And of course, uh, it's not every company, but you know there are there are certain shippers with uh, uh, corporate sustainability goals that, of course, are looking for ways to cut emissions and reduce waste. And uh, certainly, there's opportunity there. You would think in reverse logistics. So, how do you see that playing out?
3: Oh, well, reverse logistics is part of the circular economy, for sure. Uh, You return an item, I mean, the last thing you want to ever, ever do. In fact, you don't want to even want, you you just don't want to do it. You do not want to toss it in a landfill. No. It could always be, a return item can always be reused, or part of it could be reused, recycled, or donated, unless it's just, really too far gone. But, um, I mean, that's, that is a very big topic in the reverse logistics, uh, community. And, um, and you're seeing startups, uh, focus on this re-commerce. They're calling it re-commerce. And I love that word. I mean, it's everything's got a purpose. You can resell so many of the items somewhere. Um, a laptop, for example, you may not be able to sell a broken laptop or an antiquated laptop, but you could take it apart and sell the parts, you know, or recycle responsibly. So it does play a major role. And the goal is, like I said, is to keep keep things out of the landfill.
1: Yeah, certainly that's that's something else we'll be, be watching in, in the years ahead. But um, you know, before we wrap up, Kathy, I'd... Kind of want to just open it up, and uh, you know, I, I'd like to hear any perspective, any additional perspective you may have on how reverse logistics is going to change in the future. Uh, any additional thoughts you may have on on how this space could change in the years ahead?
3: Um, I do think you're going to see more technology, um, more automation in this space, and like I said earlier, that whole connecting connecting it with the rest of the supply chain, flipping it from a cost center to Potentially, potentially a profit center, um, and I, I think there are possibilities of that. And I think also, like every other part of the supply chain, using the data that you gather from this the reverse logistics side, using it for um, to learn more about your your customers, uh, to help improve the the quality of your items, or you know, just improve your um, your items from a supplier perspective as well. So I think you're just going to see a lot more of that. And I, you're also going to be more mindful. I think um, more companies, like you said, they're going to be more mindful of the whole sustainability aspect of this. So perhaps there will be a, a retraining of consumers to rethink um, returning that green sweater. Maybe they like, maybe regifting you know, maybe re-gift it to someone or, you know, something such as that. But I think there is a, there's going to be a growing, um, a, more of an awareness of the whole reverse logistics uh, community as a whole.
1: Yeah. It's certainly becoming more and more important uh, with each passing year, it seems. Uh, it's such an important part of logistics as a whole. You know, I really appreciate all your insights, Kathy. This has been a, a, a really good conversation and very insightful um, but I think we've reached a good stopping point, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, thank you again for joining the podcast. It was great to have you on.
3: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Did you know you can ask Alexa to open Transport Topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with Transport Topics.
1: Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. How are logistics providers helping their shipper customers navigate supply chain disruptions and adapt to an increasingly complex logistics environment? As we've heard from our guests, the deployment of technology and automation in warehousing and logistics are already streamlining processes, reducing waste, and creating more efficient and resilient supply chains. Technology adoption is also helping logistics companies better respond to the growth of e-commerce and the expanding need for reverse logistics services. The ongoing disruptions and supply shortages have only raised the stakes for these types of investments and process improvements. And challenging times like these are also when logistics providers can shine the brightest. By helping their customers manage disruptions and respond to rising demand, 3PLs can more clearly demonstrate the value of their services. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with me and the Road Signs team. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a fresh episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast,